0: If you're looking at the profiles, you'll find most of us have a face for radio.
1: Recorded live.
0: Scuba
2: Obsessed weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba news. episode 179 is recorded live November 14th, 2013. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. From the snowy side of the state of Michigan, I am Darren Jolson. Joining me this week, we have Mac the Dive Mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing
1: pretty good, pretty good.
2: And we also have joining us not too far away as well, Jim Schultz. How are you doing today, Jim?
0: I'm as fine as broads hair. Guess that's good. <laughs> Pretty fine. Yeah.
2: Now, uh, Jimmy, you you down here, and or are you still up in Lansing?
0: No, I was only in Lansing for a meeting yesterday.
2: Oh, that was yesterday. Yeah. So I mean, being being around all those politicians didn't hurt too bad, did it? Um. <laughs> no
0: <laughs> no i i actually i wasn't around any politicians you know i was i didn't really see any politicians but i certainly got my fill of administrative personnel
2: <laughs> now for the tasks that you had at hand was that is that the only place you can do it you had to go directly to lansing
0: uh yes yes they hold their meetings in the uh Historical Museum, or the State Museum in Lansing, and so that's where that's where I got to meet uh, a number of great folks that I'm looking forward to working with.
2: Is there anything we can talk about now, or you want to wait?
0: Uh, I think we should wait. Eh, you you don't know, jinx it. Let's just say we, we will follow the progress of a dredging permit and an archaeological site permit on the show for... However long it takes, to hopefully to get the permits offered. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we're 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 in the process of preliminary discussions to get the permits that would allow us to fully expose and document wreck.
2: So those who haven't so we,
0: been, we spilled the beans.
2: Yeah. So those who aren't familiar, who are just recently on the show, oh, it's been two, three years ago now.
0: 2010. 2010. 2010, we found the wreck.
2: So, this is in Lake Michigan off Bridgman. So, the east side of Lake Michigan, Bridgman, Michigan, uh, was a wreck discovered in about, I mean, do we want to say how deep or a range?
0: Sure. 72 feet of water.
2: 72 feet of water. So, perfectly diveable. Um, You know, we're still trying to identify the the name of the wreck and the age of the wreck, but we have some good ideas, and so the cut to the chase, we're, we're trying to get some the necessary permits to discover more about the wreck.
0: Yeah, my, my goal is to, uh, we're, we're going to need some funding, but I don't want to go out asking for funding or soliciting, you know, um, the funding dedicated to this project until we've gone down the path a bit and understand how much we're going to have to spend on permits and making sure we've got the right resources involved and if we're going to have to pay an underwater archaeologist to be part of the project or if we can get someone to volunteer. And so there's a lot of legwork that's got to go into getting this thing set up in the background. Yeah, cause you... So we've, we've floated the idea for the past year uh, and... Just about all the responses that came back were, you better get the permits. So we're going to work with the state and see what their requirements are, and we'll share that as we get going. But uh, they sent me a permit application in the email after the meeting. And so it's going to involve, so far we know of three different permits that we'll have to obtain. Uh, One is a permit from the Department of Environmental Quality for what's being classified as dredging on the bottomlands of the Great Lakes, since we'll be disturbing the bottomlands. Uh, they want to have control over the dredging, the spoils, and the turbidity in the water that this could cause. So um, it, it's a reasonable request. You know They want to mm-hmm. make sure we're not disturbing any fisheries or damaging any habitats. So I don't think that's going to be a case with ours. We're looking to take sediment that's inside the shipwreck and put it back outside the shipwreck where it originally started. So that's number one. And then because we're in navigable waters, we have to have our permit reviewed by the Corps of Engineers. Uh, But generally, if the state issues the permit, the Corps pretty much just reviews it for impact on commercial navigation. And since we should have zero impact, uh, we're anticipating pretty much rubber stamp approval there. And then the third permit comes from the Department of Natural Resources, who are the ones who are charged with overseeing and monitoring the shipwrecks as a resource uh, slash artifact uh, for the state of Michigan. So I got to meet the state archaeologist yesterday and had some good discussion with him and look forward to working with them. Uh, we're going to give it a try, um, and if we identify obstacles in the process, uh, we'll work with them, and if necessary, get, see if we can get some legislators involved to help us with uh, overcoming, and you know, um, hopefully it will be a positive experience that we'll be able to say, hey, if you've got a project, the state's willing to work with you, and we'll help you guide it through it, just uh, you know, dot your I's, cross your T's, and do the paperwork. So that's the attitude we're taking at this point. Is we want this to be a win-win. Um, I'm going to share from an outsider's perspective, even though I'm, you know, an outsider of this project. I'm now becoming part of the project and driving this. So, you know, not ever going through this before. We will uh, see how helpful the state can be in guiding people through the process. Well,
2: we we can hope. So we'll we'll start off positive and we'll go from there.
0: We'll start off positive and we'll try to remain positive and we'll go from there. You know, I I know. It's a damn it's thing gonna be...
1: that, I was gonna say it's a good thing Mother Nature doesn't have to file any of those. <laughs> a permit for a storm? <laughs> well yeah, disturbing the bottom land, creating traffic issues. Yeah, what they're gonna do with her. She's a rowdy old girl.
0: Yeah. Well, some things are beyond the state's control, but where they can control, they want to try to do that.
1: It, it sounds to me, as always now, especially is if you find it, don't tell.
0: Well, we we told, and we're going to we're going to attempt to take the high road and do it right. So follow our uh, long and potentially tedious path right here on scuba obsessed
2: well that leads us to the next point of how do you follow the show uh we've got some new listeners and and we'll get to that point in a minute here but uh if you haven't been to our website go to www.scubaobsessed.com that's the website where we have the show notes and i actually did get the last two episodes up there and I, i hope to get a few episodes each week till we get caught back up we're sitting right now at 179 episodes I did the calculation. We've got about 230 hours of, of content that we have put out. Uh, you can also follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Scoob Obsessed. And also on Google, you can go to the Google Plus. It's uh, www.google.com forward slash plus Scoob Obsessed. And that will get us to our Google Facebook page. Also Scoop It, which I believe it's uh, Scoop, S-C-O-O-P I-T forward slash, I think it's M forward slash scuba obsessed Um, and you can follow us in the news and we've got quite a bit and we just got back to gold level i don't know how you get to gold level i don't know how you get to not gold level then back to gold level but that's where we are and we are now oh also we have stitcher stitcher smart radio that's another way of of listening to us Uh, get us go to stitcher.com download the app and type in scuba in the field there and that will connect you right to our program on stitcher and also itunes so we we're on iTunes and we've just picked up gotten picked up by a new network the Reno Viola Radio Network and I'm probably slaughtering his name I don't speak Canadian real well but it's uh, we outdoors.com, or the easier one is wrvo radio.com and that is a I call it live that's a it's a radio station on the internet it goes 7 days a week 24 hours a day and you can follow us there and listen to a lot of other great Shows uh, primarily it's fishing, a lot of fishing stuff, and they're branching out into more uh, broad outdoors or some hunting shows. And we are in there and on the loop. And I actually heard us on the show on the radio network this last week, so that's new. Uh, thanks to Reno for putting us on. And I thought we go ahead, and I thought we could take this opportunity since we're going to have some new listeners that don't normally hear us the other way that we could go and cover maybe a little bit about the show and how we got here and what we're doing, a little bit of experience. So how's that sound?
0: It's your show.
2: Hey, what well, this is, a, is a podcast. And it originally started, gosh, I don't even know how many years we are. I think we're, what season are we even on? <laughs> Let's see, I got to do the math backwards. So that we were just fi- finishing up our fourth season. Can you believe four seasons of doing the radio program? Did it as a podcast. And originally it was myself, Darren Jilson, and Jim Kleeman was my first co-host and, He was on the show for about about a year and a half. uh, Before he uh, got tied up with work, he got into a new business venture. And he's been on a few times since, but uh, he's he's busy on Thursday nights when we record. So we played around the idea of doing some other days. But uh, my experience started, I've always been a long-time watcher of the undersea world of Jacques Cousteau, which got me interested. My dad was actually a scuba diver. I can remember as a kid seeing his scuba tanks in the attic, and uh, he did it. I never got to actually see him do any diving. But I got my open water certification, oh, gosh, it's got to be eight years, nine years now. Uh, Jim was my dive buddy. We, we both went and did the... Uh, Open water together, and then when we got done with that, the the one thing that we missed in the open water—no, no offense to the organization that gave us training—but we had no idea of where to dive. Uh, essentially, when you got done with the dive training, uh, they wanted to sign you sign you up for uh, these big trips to Fiji and Hawaii and you know, Bonaire, which are all great locations to go if you got the money, but we didn't have the money. So we just kind of shrugged and said, oh, well, I don't know. And uh, they had a dive club that was doing some dives and that kind of disbanded just as we got our certification. And it went probably a year and a half until we looked at each other and go, why did why we put all this money into it? Let's go do some diving. So you know, I, I guess we're just stubborn. We we went to the same place and we took advanced open water, uh, gave us an opportunity to brush up on some skills. And then we got done with that. We were determined to go do some diving. So we uh, did a, a volunteer dive trip the next weekend, uh, took some trash off the bottom of a small lake at a, at a camp. And then somehow we got connected with this crazy bunch of divers, the Michigan Underwater Dive Club. And then from there, it's all downhill or, or underwater. Um, and probably our first real contact to Jim and I, was Mac, who we nicknamed the Dive Mentor, and the name has at least stuck for the purpose of the radio program. And Mac got us into every pond, river, creek, and Lake Michigan. We can remember the first few times we're going to the Dive Club meeting, and everybody's excited about trying to say uh, different spots for us to go, and they kept on asking, have you been to this spot? And by that time, I think we were on dive number seven. So it, it was pretty safe to say, no, we hadn't, considering that five of those seven dives were, were Gilboa Quarry. Uh, so, uh, Mac, uh, how did you get started in diving?
1: Uh, making diving from the swimming pool at base at Fort Jackson, South Carolina, back in the early 60s. <laughs> and if they go to the uh, club website, my Club, and hit under the club bios, I can find out all about you, including a picture.
2: Yeah, that's a Mud Club com is the michigan underwater scuba divers website and we've got club bios on all the members
1: well a good number of them anyway those in witness protection prefer not to
2: yeah you you can opt out so if you want to join the club and not be on the website you can do that we'll take your money so that so that's what, uh, what what interest you in diving. Was there some catalyst that got you into scuba diving, Mac? Uh,
1: I think it was the exploration aspect. Can I make my gear and can I breathe underwater? And of course, you know, sea hunt. If you didn't see sea hunt, I mean, I don't know how you could be living in that age and not not want to go out there and play in the water. Mike Nelson, I think, it was a catalyst. And of course, the Calypso and and Cousteau, but the the pictures and the uh, exploration that he did. How could you not want to try something like that? Oh exactly just
2: the beautiful shots they had underwater. Now you mentioned that you built your own dive helmet and we we go into this quite a bit detail. I think it was was it episode number 2? Were you on 2?
1: <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah. I know I saw you guys out there in 2007 is when you took your open water certification.
2: Okay, 2007.
1: Yep. Not that I keep track but I do. <laughs> <laughs> And besides, it's on the pod. It's on the, uh, the under the bio. That's what I'm
2: looking yeah. at. See, see, secretly the reason I did the show was that this is my my dive log because I didn't really want to have to write everything down. So now I just have to filter through 200 and some hours of, of of programs to to hear about all my dives. Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm I'm here looking at the. Oh, I'm a, I'm in the Mud Club site. I should have gone to the show site. I'd been able to figure out what episode you were on. Because in the beginning I had really good notes. In fact, I probably had almost verbatim everything you said too. Now, what type of training have you gone through over the years, Mac?
1: Well, I eventually had to get a scuba certification so I could get air legally. Well, let me rephrase that. If you go to a dive shop back in those days, they ask for a card unless they knew you. So back, I think it was 72, I went ahead and picked up the YMCA card, and then I got a PADI card. And then down the road, I went ahead and got a NAWI card. And, uh, you know, the open waters, the advanced, the SLAM, the schoolbacks and accident life-saving management classes. uh, Got master diver and then commercial rating. So...
2: Now, when you say commercial rating, you actually became a commercial diver.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hard hat. The old Mark V suit is what you actually started out in. It's an experience I prefer not to work in those. But uh, if you're working in high muck, I mean, you can be working 10... 15 feet under the muck be fine. If somebody drops a hammer or something, hits your hard head, it'll ding it, but it won't hurt your head.
0: Yeah. But uh,
1: regular diving, uh, band mask are fine. The smaller masks and band mask are good.
2: Yeah, and, and I'm looking back through our notes, and it says you were Episodes 2, 36, and 40, and then probably somewhere in the 70s is, I think, where we kind of shanghaied you in somehow into being a regular.
1: Yeah, that kind of diving was fun. I did mostly NBC shallow water, which is less than 250. Yeah, shallow, shallow, 250 shallow water. Well, yeah, I, I was certified for air at 250. <laughs> and of course, if you went mixed gas, you'd go deeper. But I was interested in shallow water stuff, and most of mine is, uh, like I said, nuclear, biological, and chemical. So I was either diving in a reactor or a spent fuel pit or a mixed acid beds or sewage. So take your pick. <laughs>
2: Now, of, of the bad places you dove, which is the best to dive in?
1: Uh, of those three, nuclear. Yeah. That's the nuclear. safest. That's <laughs> the safest. Yes, it is. Uh, the, the worst hazard you really had there generally was thermal because diving in 90-degree water in a dry suit, sometimes a oh. double suit, is hotter than a mother. Yeah. The worst, of course, is sewage. Because anything in the world you can catch, you can catch diving in raw sewage.
2: Now, now, how did you deco when you're doing raw sewage?
1: Well, that's when you don't want to be the tender. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they, they, you, you know, you'd know, you be hauled out, and that poor tender is the one who's really getting messed up. <laughs> and uh, So they just hose me down and then wash me down with uh, basically a Clorox solution. And then I'm real careful taking my helmet. And that's a, that's a full helmet there, so I'm not going to be sucking any water in. And I ain't gonna have any leaks in my suit either. I'll tell you that now. <laughs> so you, I you probably want a little suit. positive air in the suit. I, I, well, I got you know I've got air coming in, so I'm good. And uh, but that poor tender, that that's that's a pissy job to say the least. <laughs> but, I mean that's probably be one of the hazards, the biologicals. Now of course if you dive in an acid or something, you got to make sure whatever you're diving in doesn't eat rubber and doesn't eat the seals in your helmet. So there's some hazards there, too.
2: Now, for recreational, what, what type of diving was your preference or it's, is your it's preference? That's interesting.
1: My preference is grubbing. And when I have my book out, you guys could buy a copy, and I think you'll be very entertained. But grubbing's number one. I do like rock diving. And as I get older, I sort of limit myself to 130 or so. Not that I wouldn't bounce something considerably deeper just to get on it.
2: If it's interesting enough. <laughs>
1: If there's a virgin out there and that shows me some good structure, I will probably bouncer. I'd probably go down to 200 if even. I take my time, but I'd go down to 200.
2: Now for grubbing,
1: what
2: what is the definition of grubbing?
1: What is the definition of grubbing? Well, grubbing is basically where you're getting out there and you're you're boring or or getting your arms down in the bottom, whatever it is, mud, silt, sand, and looking for stuff, trash and treasure.
2: So grubbing could be be ponds or rivers or...
1: Any body of water. Obviously, you do your research, though, and you try to find the areas that are either ports, uh, portages, launch points, receiving points for cargo, shipping channels. You look for the ones that are where the old bars used to be, where the pavilions used to be that were over the water especially, where the uh, big places that used to go swimming Mm-hmm. A lot of boaters and every major lake in Michigan used to have a pavilion. it seems like. It all had bars on the water and uh, do your little lay of the land where they used to throw the bottles or where they'd go swimming and get out there with your metal detector and your grubbing tools and you'd be amazed at what you find.
2: Yeah, and it seems like every little lake had a steamboat some sort of steam-powered vessel that would You
1: sink. figure Pawpaw, yeah. absolutely. You figure Pawpaw, which is not a majorly big lake, it's got about 11, 12 miles of coastline, and you figure that place had the biggest boat was the Margaret, I believe. It was a double-decker and held 250 to 300 people. That's a pretty good-sized boat.
2: Yeah, that's that's a that's a very good-sized boat.
1: Now, were those boats, what were and those boats used all for? The ones? Well, you got to figure, you know, you got, in the old days, you didn't have all the roads, you know, like we do nowadays. So on Pawpaw, for example, uh, between Coloma and Waterville, you used to have a train, it used to come straight from Chicago down to Waterville Lake or Diploma. And a gentleman built a spur from that all the way down to the end of the bay, L&E bay on Pawpaw Lake. So that people could take the train all the way in from Chicago, catch the spur all the way to E Bay. They'd get on the boat, and then the boat would go around and deposit them at the different hotels, motels, their properties around the lake.
2: So, so El-N-E Bay. That I think that Avenue, was one of the that was like the, one of the first spots where you had Gemini dive was Eleni Bay. So right there, there was a spur. That's
1: correct. Yes. That, and that's where one of the major taverns was, and that's where one of the biggest boat docks was. Now, the reason we don't find as much as you'd like to is how deep is the sediment there. Oh,
2: my goodness. You could, you could lose a person in that. Yeah. I mean, I know that's I've gone and that's my why, arm straight down, and you can just barely feel the bottom firming up.
1: Right. So if you could actually go down consistently five and six feet under the mark, you would find some very interesting treasures. And then you look at the different pavilions they had, and you look at the stuff that we have pulled out of there, and though not a lot is monetary, a lot of it is, you know, 100-year-old bottles plus, you know, anchors, anything a person carries, any time and drop in the water they have dropped in the water keys to
2: false teeth keys to false teeth so a little keys bit of everything
1: you name it yeah
2: and if you want to see some examples of what you can find you go to the mud club site mudclub.scubaobsessed.com click on treasures and you have probably i mean we've only been posting that for the last two or three years yes and there is thousands of individual items that have been found and a lot of this is just, uh, anyth- everything that's in the water, for the most part, because somebody thought it was junk and they didn't want it. You know, pipes they just threw in, bottles they were done drinking the contents and wanted to get rid of, you know, all sorts of trash. Occasionally an item that somebody didn't want to lose would find a way in. We find a lot of tools that way. People working on the end of their dock and they they drop it in and weren't able to find it. Now, when you talk about grubbing uh, that you want to admit to, <laughs> what is the, probably the the most i don't say valuable but the the best item that you found
1: well last year i think that ten thousand dollar ring was pretty nice <laughs> Ooh, yeah <laughs> that made my day i did find the owner though they it made their day too
2: yeah now what what is the most unusual item that you have found
1: unusual that's a hard one i i thought finding the sword that viking sword under the bridge area was pretty good
2: yeah because you, you you found a sword uh Gosh, I mean, because you got yeah, the classics. The uh, yeah, they, yeah, you guys have got shopping carts. You've got safes, which all seem to be open for some reason. Darn it! Yeah.
1: Uh, well, you guns and shotguns and mm-hmm. ammunition and. Yeah,
2: I mean, you've even found explosives a couple different times.
1: Yeah, actually, yeah, the, the um, railroad torpedoes we found that one year.
2: Yep, and then you, and in Popa, not Pawpaw, uh Singer Lake, didn't you find uh, pipe bombs? Oh
1: yeah, freaking pipe bombs, mercury switched yeah, that, that could have been very dicey had I found them when they were right recent, uh, before the batteries went bad, so it didn't blow up on me. Uh, that was not a lot of fun when I realized what they were. But that was back before 9-11, so uh, the cops didn't get too excited. That was back in the day when people used to fish with dynamite.
2: <laughs> so assuming you logged every dive you've done, what range would you say you would be in?
1: I have tried to figure that out. I think my best year lately was what two years ago when I had about 137. Considering you know we get a lot of ice and stuff, that was a pretty good year. And I've been doing that what 40 plus years. <laughs> so you're in the several thousands.
2: Yeah, I, w- I would not. I, I I would think 2,000 would be conservative number because you got to factor. You had because commercial dives. I mean. When you're doing it for a living, yeah, you a lot. Yeah, I don't count the commercial ones. Yeah, so not even counting yeah, commercials.
1: Well, yeah, a lot of hours anyway. Yeah. It's yeah. like Bob and his rebreather back in those days. don't count the dives, like how many hours it would spend down.
2: Or how many cubic feet of air you've so, breathed. So quite a few. Yeah. Now, Jim, uh, what inspired you to get into diving?
0: Sorry to say, but it was a drowning in a local lake.
2: Now, this uh, is on the East Coast?
0: Working with the fire department. This was back in New Jersey, yeah. I was working with the local fire department, and we had a report of a guy who came out of the bar, decided to take a swim across the lake, and never made it to the other side. So we were out there from about 3 a.m. till six boots and and grappling hooks, and about 7 o'clock, they put the divers in, and half an hour later, we were all on our way home. So I said, "Hmm, well, like if I can wear a, a firefighter's mask and an air tank, a Scott Pack in a fire, I ought to be able to wear a scuba tank and breathe underwater. So that was in 1983. And I went and got certified and actually pulled out my old logbook and looked at my first dive while Matt was speaking. And it was my ocean checkout dive was in July of 1983. So it's been 30 years this past summer that I've been diving.
2: Thirty years. You can't be that old.
0: Would you start when you were eight?
2: Yes, you can. You can be that old.
0: Yeah, I am that old. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah. The the other thing we didn't talk about is you've joined the recently retired club. Yes. Which which kind of which which Jim Kleeman and I have talked about. You know, it's like it doesn't matter how fast you're going when somebody's going twice as fast as you are. So you guys have all this extra time for diving. So I'm I'm a little envious, especially this coming up summer. Well. I guess I could be a dive hobo. That would help me. The
0: nicest thing was, you know, midweek when the weather was good and the lake was flat, it was one of those I'd call Mac or he'd call me and say, hey, looks like a good day to get out and do some diving and some searching. And two hours later, we'd be on the lake. So what
2: what type of diving is is probably your favorite?
0: I've got to admit, my favorite is wreck diving. Uh, My ocean checkout dive. We went through the class. We did two dives in a quarry. And then the next was an ocean checkout. This was the New Jersey coast, and so the ocean checkout dive was in 60 feet of water on a shipwreck that had been pretty much blown apart. But you know there was a lot of debris, and um, ever since then I've been hooked on shipwrecks. You know anything from the wrecks of the Jersey coast, where you know back in the 80s, uh, diving the Jersey wrecks was Uh, I'll say a grubber's paradise, but it was more of a junk collector's paradise. Anything you could find that was green or gold or brass came off the wreck, because with the salt water, it eventually would be gone or lost or rotted away. But the brass, we would save. So everybody was always looking for portholes or bells or brass fittings. Um, Always looking for china or silverware from, you know, the wrecks. And so I spent a number of years, uh, about four years diving the Jersey wrecks. And then in 86, moved to Michigan. So I went from cold, dark, and deep in the North Atlantic, salty, to cold, dark, and deep in the Great Lakes with the freshwater. And that's where I experienced my first wooden schooner, sitting on the bottom in Alpena, Thunder Bay area. And I remember the first time rigging, where the rope that comes down from the top of the mast basically attaches to uh, a dead eye, and, and there's another rope that hooks to another dead eye, and that hooks to the hull of the ship. And you think about a typical pirate ship or a you know, a wooden sailing ship, you always see these dead eyes, these big round blocks with three ropes in them zigzagging back and forth. And that's what they would use to tighten up and square up the rigging and keep the mast straight. And I saw my first dead eye and got hooked on the, the beautiful wood and wrecks and have been a an avid wreck hunter and wreck diver since then. My second passion is, you know, you can't dive with Mac without learning to be a, a grubber and a collector. And the years with the mud club have uh, taught me a tremendous following so you can learn a hell of a lot from him. And so I've learned to do some grubbing and now I've collected a few bottles and other trinkets from the bottom.
2: Now, as far as training, uh, so you said you've been diving for 40 years, but you, you, you've continued to learn?
0: 30. 30. 30 years. Oh, yes, continued to learn. Uh, you know, I was a paddy diver when I first started, and my, my basic scuba card, you know, for the put location, uh, they put North Atlantic. And so. If you can dive North Atlantic, you can dive anywhere in the world. So, yeah, that was my basic classes. And then I took an advanced class, um, a wreck diver class, a deep diver class. That was pretty much East Coast. Came out to Michigan and started over again with the mud club and doing some shallow water diving in the ponds and rivers and lakes and mud puddles we've got out here. And then uh, learned a lot from them, ice diving. Dry suit diving, limited visibility diving, and through the years I've also taken some uh, search and recovery techniques, um, rescue diver, um, underwater archaeology, and now I'm working my way through some decompression techniques. So, you know, I've, I've done a lot of uh, learning by experience from some great teachers, but uh, have picked up, you know, tried to go back and get some more certifications to stay current with the techniques and the change in uh, technology with diving. You know, when I first started diving, it was Navy tables. You memorized the Navy tables 60 feet for 60 minutes and based everything off of that with your aluminum 80 or your steel 72, actually double hose regulators. Uh, Now it's all computerized and great advances in technology have allowed us to go deeper, stay longer, and be a lot warmer.
2: Now, in a range, how many dives do you think you've done?
0: I, too, am one of those guys that stopped logging my dives for a long time because I was just diving, you know, 20 feet, 30 feet. You know, if I wasn't doing a a wreck dive or going to a destination, I never put it in a logbook. Uh, So I'd say I'm probably in the 700 to 1,000 range, probably closer to 700.
2: Well, I think that's all I've got. You guys got anything else you want to add to that? I think that all our new listeners, that get some much up to speed.
1: Well, diving's a lot of fun. Uh, I think primarily the primary item you got to remember when you're starting out is good wetsuit. Because if you're not comfortable, if you're not warm, you're not going to enjoy the dive. Yeah.
0: So any of the new. I agree. I I was going to say I agree with Mac when it comes down to uh, buying gear. But when you start laying out what I'm going to call the bigger money, you know, reaching deeper into that pocket. My personal is buy yourself a good regulator, um, one that's yours that you can maintain, trust, set up the way you want. Uh, Spend a few extra dollars to get a mouthpiece that you can form fit, one that will. Warm it up like a event item to get is either a good wetsuit or, depending where you're diving, a dry suit. You know, If you're diving in those cold environments, think about biting the bullet and getting that dry suit. You know, Run them a few times, try it out, but definitely you want to stay warm and you want to have lots of confidence in your regulators. So you know, don't buy cheap. Think about where you're going, what you're going to be doing, and if you're even thinking about cold water diving, uh, get that cold water regulator.
2: I think what we probably should do is we should schedule some episodes coming up for these new listeners to to introduce them. So we'll, we'll cover some of the steps that it will take. You know, how do you get started in diving? What's your the gear that you want? Uh, we also with the holidays coming up, we'll have a gift giving special. So we'll talk about different you know items. We'll, we should probably break them down to different price categories. You know, gifts under fifty dollars that you can always give. You know, the fifty to a hundred, and then you know the splurge. You know, all the way up to the you know, buying rebreathers.
0: Uh, speaking of that, is there a spot on the uh, School Obsessed site where you know Mac and I can put our, our Christmas wish list out there and be sending? Yeah, we could we the, could
2: uh, have you register. Any you listeners register. want
0: to contribute, or we get yeah. any, uh, any any vendors who want to? get you know, yes. Gift registry. A yeah, gift registry. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I and mean, that's that uh, brings sorry. up a good point. You if you it, you know if if you're a, a a t-shirt company, a dive equipment company, a dive shop, a tourism travel company and you're listening to the podcast, we'd certainly love to have you on as an advertiser. We've got 200 episodes where you can go and listen to the content. We're looking for major top-line sponsors, uh, on-air sponsors. Uh, We're we're even looking to try out some gear. We're going to be doing some more things coming up this year. I'm really going to step it up. We've had fun doing the show, but it's time to make some of this pay, so we'll start twisting some arms. I think we've gotten it out. And, And tonight we're having all sorts of internet trouble, so when you hear uh Mac or Jim talking like a Cylon, that's just uh, the Internet having a, a great time. We we had a lot of snow this week, didn't we, guys?
0: I had, uh, I did. have I had a dusting here, but at Mac's house, I had a dusting. How much did you have, Mac? About 18? I was 18 inches out there.
2: Yeah, I, I believe you because you're, you're within a half mile of, of where I work, and I made the mistake of going from one building to the other, and I cut across the front lawn, and the snow was to my knees where it had drifted well, in the front.
1: The difference in the airport at the end of uh, 10 and uh, 28 was four inches of snow, just a difference between, meaning four inches deeper at one end than the other. That was a very narrow band that came down really, really hard for, for a short period of time. I,
2: I walked from my car to the, the front door, which was maybe 20 yards, and you could hear the snow hitting my hat, and I was covered. I mean, it, it was coming down when— If you've not experienced lake effect, it is definitely something to see at least once. Because that's kind of like your once-in-a-hundred-year blizzard. We can have that a couple times a year with lake effect snow. It just dumps. And here we are. I don't remember. You know, we've always had snow kind of hit us. You know, pretty much anywhere between Halloween and Christmas, you'll get a snow. But I don't remember snow coming this much this soon in a long time.
1: Now this was an unusual getting dumped on real quick. I was hoping we'd have some more snow for this weekend since we're going to have a nice river dive and the, the white snow will offset the blacks. They look cool out there.
2: Yeah, well, we did, uh, on my way to work, I passed quite a few ponds, and the water was not open on the ponds. I, I'm pretty sure it's not frozen. It's just slush.
1: A little the... skim ice?
2: Yeah, a little skim ice.
1: All right.
2: so we are getting ready to be building some ice so we've been we have not had ice the last two years to really do any good uh, ice dives God, it's hard to believe it's been three years since we've had an ice dive now well
1: a good ice dive yeah
2: yeah well we've we've been in a water where there's ice so we had last year where i think jim just about passed out do uh, using that sledgehammer
1: yeah we were a little silly on a couple of dives but it was still fun
2: yeah yeah get out in the the water and do some yeah, in the chat room, they're saying we may get the chance to cut through the ice die for New Year's Eve, and I, I think so. If the, the the water is cooling off quick, to me, that's what it says. If we've got skim ice already forming, yeah, you know, I, I mean, we can always have a warm spell, I guess. You know, a, a week or two of sixty degrees will warm things up quite a bit. But you know, if we keep cool, I mean, I had to I had to break up. I, I actually turned the furnace on today. It's the first time this year. <laughs> My wife is complaining. I think she. Had icicles off her nose last night, so I finally had to start the furnace.
1: Well, I know I know Sunday is supposed to be 60% chance of rain and 60 degrees, so it'll be warm, at least surface-wise.
2: Yeah, yeah, but if we've knocked a little bit of that temperature. Now, how do you think that affects the lake and the, the lake effect? Do you think that being the cold this early could actually make the lake effect a little bit more
1: mild? I'm not really sure. I, I do, with the I do know it had white caps out there yesterday.
0: What's that, Jim? The warmer water of lake effect. The warmer water of lake effect will make it worse. Yeah. So
2: I, that's what there's I was wondering.
0: More snow from warm water.
2: Yeah. If it cooled off, if maybe we, we might dull the lake effect. But there's still a lot of thermal mass in that lake. So we can see. But I just, uh, I, there were some statistics going on, and they were comparing all the conditions, uh, you know, where they had El Ninos and jet streams and everything. And they, said that uh, while it's no accurate predictor they said this was a 100 year 100 inch plus season so they said you know it would be one of the top 3 in 100 years for snowfall so do do we call it now do we do we say this is going to be the, the winter bring it on bring it on just need to get a longer chainsaw
1: it'd be nice
2: we'll still be able to dive
1: it yeah, keeps the boaters away makes it nicer for us
2: <laughs> yeah they yeah, you, you, we don't see too many boats when it starts to freeze over don't re, don't really have ice icebreakers in the river or the, the little ponds now when do they stop running uh, uh boats up like for salt or the concrete plant are they pretty much done now
1: they're pretty much uh, on okay. there you certainly the shipping line is dependent on the pond when they're gonna close up the UP area when that gets iced over and the locks at usually based on ice mm-hmm
2: I saw that at uh, the dive shop up there by Sheboygan. They got a new boat, and they just picked it Did up this week. Did you see a new
1: boat?
2: It looked like a nice boat.
1: It like a very nice boat.
0: That's one I Jim, wouldn't mind having. Jim, you were interested the
1: in their old one.
0: Yeah, I'm waiting for them to decide what they want to do with their old one.
1: Did you contact them?
0: Yep. They are unsure what they're going to do with it at the moment, but uh, they've got me on their list of people to contact when they do decide.
2: Are they thinking they're going to be so big they need two boats?
0: uh... they're not quite sure because they'll be operating the large boat as a six-pack the first year, oh. so they won't be able to take as many passengers as it will have capacity for.
2: Oh yeah, that boat's because way beyond like a six-pack.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, but they're just going to operate as a six-pack boat the first year till they get familiar with it, and then spend the time to get their uh, Coast Guard inspections and certification done on it. So that it's can be a T boat, which would let them carry more passengers.
1: Yeah, because you might want to explain what a six-pack is to people who might not know.
0: Six Six-pack is a license to carry up to six passengers and crew. Uh, it's a license that's issued by the—actually, the boat is inspected by the DNR, but it's a license, Coast Guard license cap. Quite often you'll find that in smaller boats like fishing boats, uh, you know— things like that. Uh, where a T-boat license, it's a sub, subgroup T or subchapter T of the Coast Guard regulations, that's more of a larger passenger vessel. So your ferries that run back and forth to Mackinac Island or you know, carrying 30, 40 passengers or more are going to be T-boats. Where a six-pack is more or uh, uh, generally a smaller boat that's limited.
1: It's like around here, the party time for purge will take 30-plus people easily since it's a double-decker, and the charter captains around here normally do the six-pack because it's usually six people, maximum eight that I've seen.
2: Yeah, because when you said it was uh, six-plus crew, so it's, you got the captain, you could have one or two crew members, and then you could have six paying
0: passengers. Isn't that how it works? Uh, it's... Up to six paid passengers.
2: Yeah, so, so you could have six paid passengers, your captain, and then, you know, one or two crew. Right. Okay, well, let's, uh, now, well, we're going to do it a little bit different. Normally, what we do is we, we start off the show, if we have any interviews, we'll do interviews, and then we'll get into the news. Uh, this week, since we took so much time on that, let's uh, talk about any diving, which I'm I'm sure, Mac, you had some diving this last week, didn't you?
1: Yeah, we got back out there in the river, uh, and at- we had, uh, you were the week before weren't you, Jim? You didn't go last
0: week. No, it was last uh, week. No, I did go last I missed the week
1: before. Last week you went with us too? You were upstream. Yeah,
0: okay. there was four yeah, of us.
1: And last week, yeah, I think it was yeah, only there was Mary Beth week. and the other gentleman who came week. out and did the drift dive.
2: So yeah. you say, was it a drift dive you did? Yeah, Mike, Mark. It was so Mary nice, Beth, Mark, you uh, and I. sea lamprey again. Oh, you did see yeah. a sea lamprey.
1: I saw two of them last week. This is really phenomenal. I haven't seen any for years, and then we're seeing them left and right. This year. Well, you know, Let's talk about that for a second. So now we've got lampreys, snakes, and turtles.
2: I was watching a show on Alaska, and they were talking about lampreys, and that lampreys, and maybe it's a different strain of lamprey, or maybe it's because they're coming from the ocean, but that they came up all in a wave, and it might only last for 5 to 15 minutes, that wave coming up the river. So they were actually they were on a frozen river. They had cut through and they were pulling it with dip nets because they wanted the protein because a hard Alaskan winter. Is that something simpler like happen in our rivers, or are they just there all the time?
1: I I'm not sure, Well, they're there all the time uh, for a while. They are sea lampreys, by the way. Okay, that's what they are. And they used to have uh, lamprey nets and like in Pawpaw River mm-hmm. down there in Wardalee, down by the fever mill. They used to have the electric gills across it to keep them out. Yeah. And to help destroy them. Uh, when we're diving Sheboygan, Sheboygan uh, River this year, they had a big net, not net, but um, trap they've been catching them in. And what they were doing, there must have been 50 in that, net, in that trap. Uh, they neuter the, the male and let them go to help combat or, you know, so they don't impregnate and have many more. Uh, and again, I've heard of them in our river. But this is the first year that we've physically seen as many as we have. And then I make a point to talk to the fishermen, and they are actually catching fish that have had them on them or have them on it, and they knock them off and they pull the fish on board the boat. Hmm. Why so many this year, I don't know. We were trying to get some good pictures so we could uh, turn that information over to the DNR, saying in this area you seem to be having a bunch of them. And I think the biggest one we've seen is only, though, a foot and a half. Okay.
2: Now, you said you did a drift dive?
1: No, last week I was uh, going out with Mary about giving her an opportunity to get a little more faster river time in. Okay. Now, and then so, we had the new guy tagged with us.
2: So her leg was doing better and she was able to get the wetsuit on?
1: Yes, right.
2: Oh, yeah. good. So the swelling went down. She There wasn't anything too serious then.
1: Yeah, she could, well, had, you know, the, the bruising and all that subsided. So uh, the blood in the knee joint got away so she could actually put the suit on and get back diving. Oh, that's good. Uh,
2: so how, how did she like the little bit quicker currents?
1: She liked it, but uh, she wasn't quite used to it. She made a she went downstream a little further than uh, she needed to, but uh, she learned some items coming back upstream. Uh, I think the nicest part about last week is everybody got a free tool to use. So anybody who had shown up would have got a really nice. Uh, it's not quite a um, a river stick, mm-hmm. so we call it a river pike, or river nail.
2: Uh huh. So very nice
1: cause we made some out, painted them up, and I, I used mine, half the uh, paint off of it.
2: <laughs> it shows you were working.
1: In, in yep, for... and then I think we went out and we'd be for about an hour and a half down at the local tavern afterwards, having soup and coffee.
2: it yep, so... was as much fun as to dive. So why don't you explain what a river tool is real quick?
1: Uh, well, you have a lot of different types. and so We have a picture of a, of a couple of tools, I believe, on the, on the club side. But if the river is really fast, and sometimes it's a gravel bottom, sometimes it's rock, sometimes it's timbers, you may not be able to use your hands. So you can use something like a pick or a pike that you can dig into the to the bottom to help retard your being dragged downstream. And the type of tool can vary based on the strength of the current. Uh, two weeks ago, we had the creeper out there, which is basically another tool that you can use to get out in faster current that you can put your tagline to, your float line to, embed that on the bottom Then you can do a swing pattern off of it and be able to find stuff without getting tired out because you're not fighting the current. Your creeper will keep you in one place. And the tools, again, help you check the bottom out so you don't have to use your fingers. So if there's something there, you might want to sniff at your fingers or glass or metal the tool can be used to help distinguish between what's good to grab and what isn't.
2: Yeah. That, that tool zipping along the bottom, you get a nice clink and you can probably almost tell what the material is by the sound.
1: After a while, you will determine, you can tell the difference between rock, glass, steel, and rusty stuff. Cause it, it doesn't have a distinct feel and sound to it. And everybody has a unique way of doing it. I think Jim had, I think four different types of tools out there. Mary Beth had a long auger pike, uh, I used the nail, and everybody liked what they had, and it worked for them. But you got to go try them out, and you try it out in a little current before you go big current.
2: Yeah, and and it depends on the bottom. I know that the my favorite river tool here in the Michigan rivers. We went down to Cooper River, and it did just it worked, but it wasn't it wasn't the same. I mean, up here it was perfect, down there it was kind of eh. So well, you and I both know yeah, we've been out there and the current, it's been fast, but we
1: didn't. Go ahead, Mac. A lot of times, we've I was going to say, we, we were out there. We didn't have our tools with us. But if it's fast, you and I have both grabbed a cinder block, put your <laughs> yes. hand through it. That gives you something that's going to have to drag downstream with you. It does help retard your pace. Yeah. You know, you can use whatever's down there to use it. Grab it.
0: Yeah,
2: I noticed
1: that Jim, my last. you were saying something, too.
0: Yeah, go ahead, Jim. No, I was just going to say the. the river tool, a lot as you said, the bottom and the current. Uh, you know, I had four different tools because I was looking, testing out some different things. I had the, the river nail that Jake made for us, which was nice. Uh, worked very well in the kind of current in the bottom we had there with some sand and kind of a gravel bottom. I also had the old-style um, military entrenching shovel. that has got a pick on one end and a blade on the other. And if I used that basically that's what i tied my buoy off to and just use that as an anchor and a, a grab point and then also had a small like a not a hoe but maybe a rake a small rake that i was using to uh, move some gravel around get stone and stuff out of the way so i'd fan the sand away and then rake the gravel away uh, and that worked well
2: so what were the finds this week anything exceptional Broken oh, out. I He's got a bottle eat. over my
1: house that looks. I was gonna say I do have a nice little bottle of my house that may belong to somebody else. It's got a DeWajak emblem and stuff on the bottom of it. I like that. So does somebody else, though.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, two two good finds. One was a uh, Dawajak. Uh, Michigan Bottle, which is a town closest to where I live. And so I want to look that one up, find the local distillery or brewery or bottling company, whatever it was. And the other was a small candy uh, holder. It was actually in the shape of an airplane made of glass um, and would have held some candy. It's about four inches by four inches. And I did find one on eBay intact for sale. Oh, wow. So I get an idea of... Uh, you know, what, there's there only one other out there that I've seen, but it's I learned a little more about it by searching on eBay, looking for it.
2: Now, were those so welding look, welding goggles we see there in the photo?
0: Welding goggles?
2: Am I look at Like I'm going to have to go
1: back which, to the
0: site. Which to photo see what are you looking at. at? It
2: says 383, yeah, three uh the 8th. So that would have been.
1: You're in the Treasures? Yeah, I'm in the Treasures. Um, let me switch over and take a look at
2: <laughs> <like> that. <laughs> you found so much you don't know what you had.
1: Yeah,
0: okay, I saw where that you at? on the on the treasures. It's uh, uh, okay. I'm there. A, the which which time? Yeah, mud, the, club the mud club. There you go. Took it out. And treasures is uh, okay. the find.
2: Yeah.
1: What glasses were you talking about?
2: It looks like
0: uh, it's in the oh, top, okay.
2: top there, about the fourth or fifth item from the left on the top row.
0: No, what that is are those are bottoms of broken bottles. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, they look like they look like goggles in that photo. They did until no, you
1: expanded it. Hit them with the expansion, you can see them better.
0: Oh yeah, yeah no, I, I like my they version are. better.
2: Maybe it's, maybe I got beer
0: goggles on now. <laughs> they're bottoms of broken bottles that uh, all have embossing on them, and I intend to cut them down, clean them up, and use them in. Uh, some stained glass work oh that'd
2: be nice heck if you need any more of that let me know because i've got as i as i've collected bottles over the years i'm starting to get a little pickier so i've got pieces where i'm i'm looking at going "Ah, it's really going to find its way in the trash but they're i mean they're old bits but they're not because i've tried to find things i've got maybe an idea of doing some uh you know call them shadow frames or something and Shadow boxes,
0: Isn't that what they yeah. Do that well, if they're if they're flat, you know, like the bottoms of the bottles, and I could use them, um, you know, yeah, flat bottoms. Or the, I was looking at the, like the sides of some uh, uh, medicine bottles. You know, I'm looking for embossing, and you know, not something that I can fit into a a window. So I've got to be careful about how much curvature there is to yeah.
2: it. Yeah, I've got one. I'm holding my hand right now, and it's a Berrien County producers' dairy milk bottle, and it's got the cow, so it's almost like that first milk bottle I found that was mint. This is almost like it because it's, it's actually I'm, I'm, the part where you would have the person, the milkmaid, sitting down is gone, but it's probably too curved. I mean, that's got a big, I mean, it's probably an inch relief on it from what's there.
0: But I guess but I could probably it, heat it up if it's broken.
2: Yeah, it's, you know, it's broken. Can, it's just a
0: shard. Well, that's the kind of stuff I'm looking for because I might be able to cut some pieces out of it yeah. that we could use in some embossing. You know, basically I'm looking for anything that's got embossing on it to try to find a way to fit them into this.
2: Oh, yeah, this would be a, this would be a good piece. But, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll look through my stuff. Yeah, and I'll... That
0: and anything with color. Oh, yeah. Or embossing with color. Yeah,
2: I've, I've got some of those too, so yeah, I'll go through those. That's
0: like the... Yeah, the one bottle all the way over on the left is a relatively recent wine bottle. But it's if you flip it over, you, well, you can see at the top of it there's some embossing on the bottle, a nice great pattern. Yeah, that that I was hoping I could cut yeah. out and salvage.
2: Yeah, those are like, what was it about the 60s, 70s, and 80s where they had those like little wine bottles like that? Because they they all seem to be fairly newer. They had uh, like screw tops many times. Screw tops, yeah, twist to- screw tops. Yeah. Okay. Um, gosh, we, we went long, and we didn't even get into the
0: the news. Is there any... So those new listeners... Yeah. I was just going to say for the new listeners, if you're you know looking at what kind of diving we do, this is typical finds from grubbing in our area, and it's not just unique to our area. Uh, you know, Mac was talking last week that we find uh, a bottle style called a hutchie, which you'll have to tune in another night to find out about hutchies, but yet over in Wisconsin, they find a lot of torpedoes, which we don't find here. So just on, if you uh, are diving in and around Atlanta area, you're liable to find some of the original Coca-Cola bottles because that's where they originated, but you may not find you know, bottles until 25, 30 years later out throughout the rest of the country. That's what we need to do, Mac, is go to Atlanta and do some Coke bottle diving.
1: I'd rather go back to the Cooper River, I think. We can that. think we, can we do ought to that. take our own boat out there.
2: <laughs> spend some more time than what we did before.
1: I'd like to go back out there where the barges were, where the shrimp were at, beating yeah. us to death.
2: I, I had fun. I think that, that spot. would be
1: a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, some some of the articles we had that we didn't get a chance to talk uh, about. There
1: tonight? some wrecks along that same river.
2: Oh yeah, there's. I, I've uh, I followed somebody and they had they they were just talking about the wrecks and nothing about the teeth. So referring to there is the Cooper River. There's megalodon teeth in the river and you can and sharks teeth. And you can find them and collect them, and we usually do that dive at least once a year as well.
1: And alligators, if you like them, you can get their teeth and they're fresh.
2: Yeah, <laughs> alligator included.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, attached. So,
2: so here's here's some of the the scuba the news we didn't get a chance to cover tonight. Uh, we have. Uh, The Philippines, our prayers go out to everybody over in the Philippines getting hit by that typhoon. Oh, my goodness. I don't even know if they've got a final death toll, but uh, it even affected the diving community there. They had uh, uh, dive interns who were coming, getting their certification, who landed just in time to get hit by the the typhoon, and uh, they're doing okay. Uh, We have Costa Concordia wreck. A British man was arrested. We have half-eaten dolphins found, and they're curious as to what's been eating them. Uh, We had in... uh, In the Great Britain, they had a battleship wreck where every year they go down to a dedication, set photos from that. Uh, Divers, uh, there's a new study out saying that divers that diving, excuse me, uh, appears to help with spinal cord injuries. This is a John Hopkins study, so it would have been great to be able to get into that. Uh, The Audubon Aquarium uh, is looking for volunteers. Uh, They had the oldest clam ever, which is considered to be one of the oldest animals at 507 years Mm -hmm. old before they killed it, and it wasn't for uh, a snack, Uh, underwater kites to harvest energies, uh, the growth in privately owned submarines, Boeing installing underwater power turbines, a Great Lakes shipwreck hunter David Trotter was speaking in Ann Arbor tonight, which is why we missed some of the people in the chat room, Uh, and then also we had anchors from a wreck that was 130 years old. They salvaged the other half of the anchor earlier in the year, or last year they had salvaged everything and today they got or this week they got the crossbar on it and it was a pretty big piece we also had some videos in the news we had a dolphin doing something to a decapitated fish you'll have to go to the show notes to see what that was and then the bsac club scuba diving uh had a circa 1960 video and we've got that one on com where any of the interesting videos we come across the internet that are diving related the good ones We put up there, and it's mostly because of my bad memory. I can't remember where they all are. So uh, what we'll do going forward is uh, for the radio, they want about a one-hour episode. And what we'll end up doing is having a section in the middle of the show where if we have to cut, that's where we'll cut, and we'll create a bonus episode that if you subscribe to our feed, you'll be able to get that bonus episode. But uh, the radio gets the one-hour shot. Not that they can't have the rest, but uh, for whatever reason, the he was trying to explain to me the complexities of the radio network, how they like the easy one-hour slots, and I just kind of nodded go, okay, so we'll, we'll edit the show to one hour, and everything else will become bonus footage. And right now we're running at 110. By the time I kill the dead airspace and stuff, we should be at exactly one hour anything you want to plug before we get on to the that time of the show
1: uh gotta dive on sunday if anybody's in the locale want to hit the river with us high noon dive marmot oh. boat launch on sunday
2: yeah i wish i could i'm, I'm and
1: wherever you're diving be safe yes
2: yeah, certainly uh so we've got the bad scuba joke you got anything you want to plug jim before we go
0: Nope. Uh, We put our plug in at the beginning, so just follow along and we'll keep you posted on how things go working with the state.
2: So, thanks again for all the new listeners. Thanks, everybody who came out in the chat room. We had quite a few trickle in throughout. We had Roger, we had Steve, we had Cape Cod Chris, uh, and then I know that we had uh, a lot of our divers in the Ann Arbor area were all tied up with that Dave Trotter. I bet he had some good stories to talk about. And this joke is so bad, I don't even know what to to call it it's 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 pretty horrendous and i and i think we may be insulting ourselves i'm 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 not quite sure so we're ready here we go there's a great lakes diver an east coast diver and a west coast diver they all trapped on an island and the nearest shore was 50 miles away the east coast diver swam trying to make it to the other shore he swam 15 miles drowned and died the west coast diver swam 24 miles then drowned and died the great lakes diver swam 25 miles got tired and swam back That one was bad?
0: Cricket, cricket, cricket.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I just, uh, I guess I was grasping at straws, but we we never promised anything other than a bad joke. So until next week, go out there and get wet.
1: And
0: stay safe. And please come up with a better bed joke for next (laughs) week. recording has been completed
2: oh my goodness that internet sucked tonight could you guys hear me half the time or did i sound uh, like i was silent?
1: I heard most of yours uh only once in a while you had a little bit of uh that uh echo and i think jim had a little more echo than you did on occasion it started off good and then it would get wobbly yeah then it would come back in mm-hmm